2: Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition. However, to me it feels like it's just Tuesday or maybe even Friday. The week is so messed up because I didn't get here on Monday. But thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, And as always, I remind you the safest way to call if you are driving in your car is to use the free KSLR mobile app at the call now banner at the top of your screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Because it's Wednesday that means Paula will be here tomorrow. I'll know it's Thursday because Paula will be here on the program. so ladies, especially, it is a day we set aside for you. If you have any questions for Paula or is there any way if there's any way she can encourage you, please call us uh, tonight here at our church. I'm going to be telling the future of the world, the history of the world, from Daniel's time all the way to things that have not yet been fulfilled. Uh, even in our life, we're going to finish Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Daniel is often referred to as the backbone of prophecy. And um, uh, we get here and then later in chapter 7, uh, even later than that in chapters 11 and 12, some of the most profound, specific and utterly fulfilled 95 percent of those prophecies completely and exactly fulfilled and the only ones that haven't been fulfilled are those that are yet future so it is an important book and we'll be in daniel chapter 2 tonight okay let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls my first question comes from carlos from the northeast side carlos it's good to hear from you again He said, I wanted to give you an update on my mom. I'm not sure if you remember, but she was going to have abdominal surgery back in June. She recovered very quickly and is doing very well. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for letting me know, Carlos. I appreciate knowing how those things turn out. Now, here's the rest of his comment. On another note, I remember you discussing on your radio show that people like to do things on their time instead of God's time. Well, I'm living proof of that. I graduated from university back in 2016 and 2019 for my master's and would never get hired for a better job. I've been in the same job for the last 10 years at the college I work at and would always question God why he had me there. Well, I got hired as a network engineer this week at that same college, got a smiley face there. I guess the Lord wanted me to stay there for a reason. Can you tell me where in the Bible it talks about having patience and doing things on the Lord's times? Thank you, and God bless, Carlos. Uh, Carlos, thank you for the report, and congratulations on your promotion. Um, but what you described is something I think that every single Christian struggles with. You know, we're sort of programmed in this country to take the, sh- the, the, the shortest possible path To success. And God says sometimes the path to success is a longer path. And over and over the scriptures, I I won't give you just one, uh, there, there are literally dozens and dozens of passages of scripture that talk about being patient, waiting on so that we can move in the will of God. And Carlos, your example is a perfect one for that point. You know, you could have gotten frustrated and you could have gone out and found your own job. And it might have been a better job than you had then, but it wouldn't be the job that you want or that you get now. And I think what we've got to learn as believers is to wait on the Lord's will for our lives in everything that we do. You know, I'm often saying to our church here, Carlos, that stay where you are. Be faithful to serve as unto the Lord, even if it's not the best place or the most productive place. Stay where you are, honor the Lord, until you know where he wants you to go. And I think so often our impatience, our desires, our will, instead of seeking God's will, we just naturally want to move to the next big thing. And God says, no, no, I've got lessons to teach you, I've got things to learn. And one of the things he was working on with you, Carlos, evidently, is, is learning to be content wherever you are. Uh, Paul says that he'd learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. And I personally believe that that secret doesn't come natural to us. That's why it's a secret. I believe that that secret is, is uh, just learning to be content, trusting God to move you at the right time. Patience is spoken of as a fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5. So patience, and I think it's just really important for all of us, Carlos, to be sure that when we take a step of faith, especially those of us who have families who are following us, you know, we're, we're appointed the heads of our spiritual household. Our families need to have the confidence, and when we make a move, that is a move that's in the will of God. And we can't know the will of God if we're always trying to figure out our own path forward. And you learned that lesson wonderfully. And now it's a time to do two things. The first is to say, God, I am so grateful that you kept the brakes on. But I think there's another thing, Carlos, and this isn't for you. This is for everybody. I think not only do we have to be content where we are, I think we have to learn to be grateful to God for where we are. At the time you talked about I had the same job for the last 10 years. I would always question why God had me there. Uh, what we need to do is remember that in that 10 years there's a lot of people who didn't have jobs. There's a lot of people who would have done anything for a job like the one that you had. And we've got to practice being grateful. It's just part of our 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 conditioning in this world. And remember Not only does the world sort of conspire against us in this search for contentment, uh, but there's an enemy out there who wants you to move outside of the will of God. And we never want to move outside of the will of God. If I could do one thing for sure, if God would give me one request as it relates just to um, the issue of my future, um, it would be, Lord, um, help me to serve you fruitfully and joyfully and gratefully wherever I am. Carlos, congratulations. That's great, it's good to hear from you again. Here is a question, tough question from Jaime. He says, I have a brother who is gay. I was told that we can pray the gay way if we have enough faith. Uh, Jaime, that's not only silliness, but it's cruel. You are in a church uh, or getting, getting lessons from a church That is um, uh, just does not have a a healthy view of Scripture. Um, Pray for your brother. Tell him that you want him in heaven. Tell him people who live like he is choosing to live will not inherit the kingdom of God. And tell him about Jesus. Um, the, the, The whole idea, and I think this was started by Group, I think it was called Exodus International. Uh, All we have to do is we can pray the gay away. We can do things for for conversion therapy. Uh, The truth is, what we can do is be in the presence of the Lord and serve him faithfully, whether we're same-sex attracted or not. So um, you can't pray the gay away. It has nothing to do with your faith. It has everything to do, Jaime, with your brother. Uh, does he? Will he consent to living in righteousness? Will he consent to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? If not, there's nothing about your prayers that you can do at all to make a difference. Sorry for that, but keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. Let's go to Ray on line one. Ray from San Antonio, thanks for calling. You are on the air.
3: Hello, Pastor Ron. Hello, oh, you hear me?
2: I said I, I said hi Ray.
3: Oh, I didn't get that, but uh yeah, when when the subject of that that uh, question came up about waiting and all, it just never ceases to amaze me of the face of the man that went down with the towers in New York oh. <clears> that he did not uh, did not uh, leave the job and go do what he wanted to do, which was have pizzas, you know, and and if you, I don't know if anybody's not heard that, but uh, it just really chokes me up, and if you could comment on that, I'd appreciate it.
2: I will, Ray, thank you very, very much. Uh, You know, I was talking to Paula today about the the Twin Towers when they went down, uh, because when, in our Daniel chapter 2 study tonight... There is a, uh, a a scene where this giant rock, not made from human hands, crashes down on the feet, and th- this whole statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreams about comes crumbling down. And I said to Paula, I said, you know, I think about the the twin towers when they all came trumb- crumbling down. Crumbling down. We saw that on on live TV. Uh, they just they just dropped out of the sky, and that's when everything went went nuts. Uh, but the story that Ray is referring to, I had the opportunity on the first year anniversary after nine eleven uh, in New York to serve uh with a lady named Jeannie bracca and um uh, we were there during um an evangelistic outreach we had a, we were in a movie theater, and um she was sharing her testimony on stage uh and I was there uh counseling people and praying for people on stage and uh Jeanie was telling us about her husband Al braca, uh, a very wealthy trader, very successful. God blessed him abundantly financially. He worked for um, uh, cantor Fitzgerald and um, their uh, of course their building uh, at the World Trade Center was hit by the by the airplanes and um, she was telling us that that uh, he'd been saved for fifteen years and uh, when he got saved. All he really wanted to do, and he had enough money to do anything he wanted, but for for the desire of his heart was to open a pizzeria. He wanted to, to, to work with his family, build a business that his sons could take over um, one day, and all he wanted to do was open a pizzeria for his sons. And every time he would start to plan or make a move, the Lord would stop him. And he would say, but Lord, I want to do this. I want more time at home. I want to spend time with my family. Why won't you let me to do that? And every single time, the Lord made it crystal clear that, no, this is where I have you for a reason. And on nine eleven, he was in the upper floors, and the plane hit below him, and it became clear very often, or very early, rather, that, uh, that uh, they were all going to die in there. The heat was intense. Uh, The building was moving, uh, and there was no way out. Uh, He took the time to call his wife, Janie, and said to her, "Uh, I'm not going to get out of here. I just want you to know I love you. I now know why God has me here. Uh, There's 50 people on this floor that I've been sharing Jesus with, and they're ready to receive Christ. I just wanted to call you and say goodbye first. And on that day, Al Broca's life was given for the Lord's service. And on his floor, in this is the office area he was, the people who watched his testimony for all those years, the people who'd seen his joy, the people who watched uh, his representation of, of Jesus, they knew who to go to on that day when they were all afraid. And Jeannie said about 50 people prayed to receive Jesus Christ just before that building went down and they were all dead. So you see, there are times when, as Christians, we've got to be like Jesus and say, Nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. And that's exactly what Al Broca did. And even though it was not what he wanted to do, he didn't care about the money anymore. He didn't care about the success. What he wanted to do was just spend time with his family and own a pizzeria in New York. But on that day, he realized what his goal in life was. Had he not been faithful, had he not been obedient, Ray, who knows what would have happened to those people? But you see, God's the one who's in control of those things. Thanks for the opportunity to share that story, Ray. It was, uh, it was, uh, it impacted my life, as you know, because you heard me talk about it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. Here is a question from Jeremy. He said, I often feel like God is distant. How can I keep the feeling that He is with me daily? Jeremy, this is why you need faith. You know, feelings are so unreliable. Our emotions, we can't depend on them at all. And I think sometimes we humans, we want to walk by goosebump instead of by faith. But see, here's the thing God is never distant from you. He said, If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So it seems like you haven't been drawing near to the Lord. In fact, it could possibly be because you're so worried about what you're feeling. Secondly, Jeremy, I think we need to remember that we have to believe the word regardless of how we feel, regardless of our circumstances, our emotions, uh, regardless of, 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 you know, a burning in the bosom. I think we just got to remember that God's Word says God's Word promises He will never leave or forsake me. That is not distant. Third, we got to remember that that He wants to be so intimate with you that He lives in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and the person of the Holy Spirit. So Jeremy, here's one of the times when you've got to say it doesn't matter how I feel now. I know people want goosebump experiences. I know they want to see God do miracles. But how about just being with Jesus, no matter the circumstances, for no other reason than you believe who he is, what he's done, and in the promises that he's made. So don't worry about how you feel. Just remember what the Word of God says. One of the things, Jeremy, that makes this so important is because there are times when we get up and we say, well, I don't feel like praying, or I don't feel like reading the Bible. But see, if you're not in the Word, you're shut off from all of those wonderful promises that God has made to you, those, those promises that that He intends to completely fulfill. So don't worry about how you feel. It takes faith to follow Jesus. Some days, the days are long and tedious. Other days, the days feel like you're kind of bouncing along on a cushion of air. Read the book of Acts and think about the Apostle Paul's uh, 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 testimony. You know, the, the travel he did between cities, the monotony, the, the time that he would use just to pray. Read Second Corinthians chapters 11 and 12 and, and get an idea of how difficult his life could be. Believe me, there were a lot of times when he was beaten. Philippians, um, uh, in the Philippi uh, prison, he, he, he was beaten and thrown into stocks. He didn't feel... Goosebumpy, and yet he and Silas sang songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, and that, of course, precipitated their release. So, Jeremy, that's the best I can do. If you're looking for uh, your Christian walk to be always pleasant, always fun, always full of goosebumps, you're you're really in the wrong place. Thank you for the question, Jeremy. Martin says, can you elaborate what it means to be a peacemaker in the sense that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers? Yeah, Martin, I'll try. Blessed, that word means happy. So he's talking about happy peacemakers have to have their foundation, Jesus, not issues. I'll just give you an example of the crazy world that we live in now, and I think sometimes a pathetic condition of the Church of Jesus Christ here in the United States Our churches are so divided over everything. We divided last year over politics and and that division has never been healed. we got pastors standing in pulpits preaching politics and party lines and and, and earthly kingdoms and and this is who you should vote for. You can't vote for the other person if in fact you call yourself a Christian. And, And a peacemaker would say, everybody who comes to my church needs to see Jesus and not my political views. We now have division over masking, vaccinations. Social media has ruined people, and and while this is a tragedy personally for me to have to say this, Christians have fallen into the social media trap. We get on social media to argue We get on social media to blab our opinion on things. That's not being a peacemaker. Friendships have been lost among Christians in the church, in our church, in other churches, simply because of political arguments. You're on one side, I'm on the other side. I'm done with you. That's not being a peacemaker. So in the culture and the time that we live in, being a peacemaker is being sure that the foundation for your life is Jesus and not issues. Making sure that you're a servant of the right kingdom, the the kingdom of God, rather than the kingdom of earth. I think we forget what the Bible says about how things are going to go in the last days. And we've got brother and turned against brother and sister against sister uh, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, uh, Martin, I, I I took a lot of heat for for reopening our church um, in 2020. Uh, people that said they loved me, um, uh, and and literally, and I don't mean this in any sense in a bad sense, but they literally fawned over me. They were proud of their pastor, and, and and suddenly I reopened, and and I didn't love them anymore. I didn't care for people's health and safety. I mean, those people didn't love me in a true sense, did they? When we eliminated the mask mandate in our church, when our governor said, when we followed all the rules, when our governor said the masks were no longer required, we stopped the mask mandate here at the church, and people got really angry. They questioned some of them as I said whether or not I loved them. You say you love the people, but you don't care if we die. See, that's not being a peacemaker. That's just the opposite. And Martin, I'm taking some time with this because this is what we have to eliminate as Christians. Our job is to present a bridge between politically the left and right. That bridge is Jesus Christ. Our job is to present a bridge between sin and righteousness. That, that bridge is Jesus Christ. And if we are polarized because of opinions, well, then as a pastor, I wouldn't be doing my job if we're polarized. Then we're not being peacemakers at all. And, and thus the blessing that Jesus promised there, the happiness, and again, the literal word is, happy are the peacemakers. And I want, to be, I want there to be a smile on my heart and a smile on my face. There's a lot of things going on in this world that I don't like. And I look around and shake my head and I wonder, how did we ever get here? But the reality is we, we're where we are because we stopped being peacemakers. We started advocating, started advocating for our point of view rather than for the point of view of Jesus. We should care about one thing and one thing only. Are people going to heaven or are they going to hell? That's what Jesus said. Now, that does not mean that we can't vote. It doesn't mean that among family, friends, we can have an opinion if we can separate it from our calling as a Christian. But the reality is none of us should have an opinion that contradicts that of Jesus's. And because we stake out our territory, we've, we've acted like a bunch of children in this last year and a half. And unfortunately, Martin, it's getting worse rather than better. So, Martin, that's what it means to be peacemaker the way Jesus understood it in his time. Jesus said that we love our enemies. It's easy to love lovable people. It's easy to love people who agree with us. But Jesus said we're to love the unlovable. We're to love the difficult. As you may know, Martin, we're in First Corinthians chapter 13. I talked about it a little bit yesterday in the program. It's a love chapter. And we Christians who are to be the light of love to this world, we're the ones that are hold out the olive branch to the, the the worst of the worst. And yet we so cling to our own viewpoints and opinions that we forfeit any right to speak at all for Jesus. So Martin, make sure your foundation is Jesus, not issues, not politics, not ideas. Your foundation is Jesus. And every one of us, we can open our Bibles and we can get our marching orders directly from Him. We are to be lovers of the people for whom He died. And He died for the world. Martin, I hope that helps. Thank you for the opportunity to share my heart on that. Hey, the phones are quiet. We'd love to have your calls. 340-9585 or toll-free uh, 877-630-KSLR. We've got 30 minutes left. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes.
1: the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: welcome back to our final 30 minutes on the program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR let's go to line one and talk with cindy cindy thanks for calling you're on the air
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. I kind hi, of. Cindy. I, hi, you know what? I ran across something I never really noticed before, and it's kind of interesting. It's in uh, Romans 16, chap, uh, chap, yeah, chapter 16, <laughs> verse 22. It says, I, and I think it's pronounced Tirarius, Teterius. Who wrote down this letter? Greet you in the Lord. And then I looked up to see who this was, and he was kind of like Paul's secretary or stenographer. And I thought about how many how many uh, letters he transcribed or, or he um, wrote down that Paul dictated to him. And then I was thinking about how incredible, you know, the guy must have been saved. How incredible it would have been for him to get all this knowledge that Paul is telling him to write down and get all this knowledge firsthand before anybody else gets to hear about it. He gets to get all this knowledge about Jesus and about God. And and I was also thinking about Paul's eyes, what happened with his eyes, and if it was when he was on the road to Emmaus, if the flash of light uh, was so brilliant, if that damaged his eyes. And you know, not thinking that was something bad. You know, it's just something that you know happened. And you know, not—I don't know. I'm digging myself in a hole there. I wasn't blaming <laughs> God for His eyes, but you know, but but still, sometimes things happen, and it was it was because God's holiness was so holy that that was a result of um, of of His eyesight. So, anyways, I'm gonna get off the phone and listen to what you have to say about about this guy. Bye.
2: Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Tertius. Is, it's Tertius is is the pronunciation, um, and he's a remarkable story. Now he wasn't Paul's only secretary. Um, uh, Paul would use different people as he traveled to different locations. Um, Tertius. Now, what's great about him is that he's a slave. Tertius means third. So he's the third. In the next verse in Romans 16, uh, he says, And our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Quartus means four. In the Roman Empire, slaves that were born into slavery, they didn't even deserve names. They were numbers one, two. There's a, a, a reference to secundus. Um, and, and that means second. So um, th- these were just slaves. And And the beauty about this, Cindy, is that that Paul's gospel message appealed to everybody. We see important officials, synagogue rulers. Um, uh, Paul, of course, spoke before kings and queens. Um, And so his ministry went from all the way from the very top to the very bottom. And Tertius was one of those people. Now, there is no question that he was saved. Uh, Paul wouldn't have entrusted his letters to somebody who wasn't saved. Um, but uh, Paul, because he had problems with his eyes, we know that from his letter to the Galatians, he said, you'd have plucked out your own eyes for me. Um, and and in the, we don't know how reliable it is, but there is some documentation from early church history that indicated that Paul's eyes had this constant um, uh, guck coming out of him, uh, and And it was really difficult for people to look at. Um, And and so he had vision problems. Uh, So, um, Tertius just had the privilege and honor of sharing, and you're right, uh, there's no question that uh, while they didn't know this was the Holy Spirit writing through the Apostle Paul, uh, there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit was gripping his heart the entire time. Let me talk about his eyes for a moment. Um, we have to remember, and there's a lot of people trying to figure out what Paul's thorn in the flesh is, and, and and the majority, I think, of people say, well, we believe it was the problem with his eyes. And there are some who speculate that uh, it was because, as you suggested, that he saw the holiness of God and, and it, it damaged him forever. But we need to remember that God himself, Jesus himself, sent Ananias to pray for Paul and 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 heal his eyes. So if God healed his eyes they would have been healed and and that that blindness isn't something that would have plagued him. So it's very important that we understand that it it, it almost certainly was not a condition caused by um, seeing the glory of God. So people say well what was it caused by? You know the, the, things weren't very clean. There wasn't very much an emphasis on hygiene in the first century. And they traveled from one place to another. Uh, what uh, what amazes me is how Paul persevered in spite of those things. So we don't know what it is. There is no way of knowing. And even speculating about it really is to miss the point. Paul served. He said I was spent and willing to be spent more. In other words, I gave everything that I had and then gave more. And that just characterized his entire ministry again if you can read 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 Paul details the the suffering in his ministry and yet he never backed away. He never said, "You know, I'm not feeling well, maybe I need to go on vacation." He always was on the go for Jesus. And and I think that is a wonderful model that we all should follow. Uh, so, uh, Tertius is uh, uh, one of my favorite, uh, along with Secundus and Quartus um, and Quintus. Number means number five. There's a there's a reference to Quintus uh, in in one of the epistles. Um, it just shows how vast Paul's audience was, and and when our Bible says God is no respecter of persons, that's never demonstrated more clearly than than by the fact that that. Slaves, Onesimus was a slave. They all got saved, um, just like the rich and the powerful got saved. Thanks, Cindy. Good question. Appreciate it very, very much. 3409585 for your live calls and questions. Jennifer says, Pastor Ron, what happens when a Christian dies but still has unconfessed sin? Jennifer, this is the beautiful thing about, about salvation. Um, when when Jesus died for our sins and when we gave our hearts to him we're born again all of our sins past, present and future were forgiven so if I sinned last night and I didn't say God I'm so sorry please forgive me Um, uh, and I die tomorrow in that condition, it doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It just means that those sins are already covered under the blood of Jesus. Now remember, Jennifer, when we confess our sins as believers, it is not to get saved because we already are. The reason we confess our sins is to restore, renew our fellowship with Jesus Christ. And that's what 1 John one nine is all about. So Um, our sins are forgiven. If we're really born again, our sins are forgiven. Uh, But when we continue to sin, our fellowship, Jennifer, can be broken. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line one, talk with our friend Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, good to hear from you. You are on the air.
3: God bless you, Pastor Ron, and everybody listening. Um, Thank you, Ruben. I say hi to your your wife. I know she's listening, so... (laughs) Um, (laughs) just really quick. I just want to thank everybody again for all your prayers. And, you know, uh, I know, <laughs> I know God must have great plans for me because I am going through a huge storm, um, even today, but my faith is in God. I will not let go of God. I will. I, I refuse. I refuse to let the enemy intimidate me. and, You lie to me because that's all he is. He's a liar and an intimidator, you know, and if I can encourage somebody else who's going through something very difficult, all all I can say is just hold on. And even if it doesn't seem like God is listening to you, and if it doesn't seem that nothing's going to happen, just hold on, just hold on and don't give up. Don't give up because you know, that's the worst because that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to give up, and then things are going to get worse. So just hold on to God. Even if, you, if your prayers go unanswered, they're not unanswered. God is just saying, just wait, son. Wait, daughter. I have something great for you. Just hold on. It may be burning. You may be in the furnace, but just hold on just a little bit longer. You can do it if i could do it and i've been going through this for 8 years <laughs> i know you could do it so just a little encouragement and then thank um you, a baby. question i had yes yes sir thank you and then a question if i may actually from my little nephew um we listened to you when our school started and uh they're they're talking about dinosaurs and stuff at school and he asked mm-hmm. me just out of the brew, he said he said deal Adil, his uncle in Spanish, said, Mm -hmm. the Bible doesn't say nothing about dinosaurs. So why do they teach us that there were dinosaurs? And I didn't know what to tell them. So my question is two-part. From the time of Abraham until now, how many years is is that? And are there, were there dinosaurs? And I'm going to stay on the phone because my app keeps messing up. up, So if you can, I appreciate it.
2: I can do it, Ruben. Thank you very much. And by the way, I can't I i I couldn't say any what you said any better. Um, you know, Paul said one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, I press on. Ruben, you've been an inspiration to a lot of us going through these eight years of trials, you have continued to press on and press in to the Lord, and I think that's really, really important. The people watching your life are seeing Jesus, and God bless you, brother. That's a a, a wonderful, wonderful testimony and an, and a great exhortation for the people listening to the program. A um, couple things. First, uh, there, there were dinosaurs. Uh, Job's uh book refers to dinosaurs, I think around chapter 41, uh, actually chapter 40, verse 15, uh, Behemoth, I have a hard time saying that. Um, uh, and it it is described, it, it looks like what we learned was a brontosaurus, um, um, but, but it describes dinosaurs. So there were dinosaurs, but, um, uh, Dinosaurs, like everything else, would have been on the land, would have been wiped out um, by the flood. Um, Evidently, there would have been two dinosaurs uh, on the ark, probably babies, uh, and they would have done their best to repopulate. But, you know, um, animal species going extinct is nothing new to the history of the world. It's happened uh, throughout history. So the fact that there are no dinosaurs today uh, is no different than a, a, an animal being placed on the endangered species list and, 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 and just being lost. So it just happened. Uh, it, it didn't happen the way that they'll tell you at the La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles. Um, um, the, the, the dinosaurs were lost like everybody else uh, and everything else because of the flood. Timelines are difficult, uh, but there was uh, 2,500 years, give or take a few, from Abraham to Jesus, um, and 2,000 2, years from Jesus to us, again, generally speaking. So uh, it's, it's between 4,500 and 5,000 years, Reuben, uh, from, from uh, Abraham uh, to the very time that we live in right now. Good question. Thank you. And I'm glad your, your uh, nephew is back in school. Our school starts, by the way, we'd love everybody to be praying. Our school starts this coming Monday. The teachers have been here uh, all week and uh, teachers in, in training uh, programs again. And so we're getting ready to go back to our normal, hectic, busy life here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, Pray for our kids. Pray for our teachers. Um, So far, things are going really, really well. Randy asks, Pastor Ron, is there one significant sign that I can look to uh, to prove the rapture is being close? Um, Randy, there isn't one specific sign. Uh, Jesus didn't say there's one specific sign. He said generally speaking, in the last days there will be terrible times. Second Timothy chapter 3 he wrote it through the Apostle Paul uh, in his own ministry, Jesus in the Gospels he talks about what things are going to be like at the very end of times during the Great Tribulation and talks about the signs in the sky we're seeing some of those uh, signs, Jesus said they were the beginning of birth pains uh, we had a huge uh, I think an eight point two earthquake in haiti um, I think it was eight point two and, and thousands of people are presumed dead um, the The numbers of earthquakes are increasing in frequency uh and intensity uh there's always earthquakes but but the but the numbers and the intensity of those numbers are increasing. Um, we can look at at the weather planets. Um, the, the the weather, are they, those active volcanoes? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got three active volcanoes in Alaska of all places now. Um, so, you know, Romans chapter 1 says the whole earth groans, awaiting its renewal. Uh, so the earth is getting tired, and we're getting to the end. Um, I say all the time, we're in the very last days. But the one sign that points to the, the rapture being close um, is, is actually the rapture itself. And, and we don't have any warning of that. Jesus said he's going to come uh, as a thief in the night. He will come for his church that way. That doesn't mean Jesus is a thief or it's a bad thing. It just means unexpectedly. Uh, and intentionally, the timing is vague because Jesus, this is a test. He wants us to live as though he could be back at any moment. So when we're taken out of here, Randy, at that point, uh, the whole world will know there's seven years left. There's seven years left. Um, Approximately seven years. When I say seven years, we'll be in heaven with Jesus for seven years. Uh, But the um, uh, world will be sort of plunged into a a darkness, an evil darkness that is um, impossible for us to even begin to, to comprehend. So, we're getting close. Look up for your redemption draws nigh, the King James says. And we need to keep our eyes focused squarely on Jesus. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, Randy, thank you for that question. I want to really beat this drum a little bit. I don't have anybody holding. So, um, we should be living our lives. Sort of like a spiritual alarm clock. I've told you often that I get up in the morning and look at the eastern sky first thing. That's where he's going to be coming. And I always, my first thought is today could be that day, Lord. And so I want to be about Jesus' business. As I said to an earlier question in the first half of the program, we're so focused on the business of this world that we're not telling people about Jesus. And I think a lot of people... Uh, in the rapture of the church are going gonna hear Jesus say, "A wicked, lazy servant says, "My master delays is coming. I think we're gonna all be accountable for why we didn't believe and we will see, but we believed you were coming well, then why didn't you tell people about me? Why weren't you actively sharing your faith? Paul writes to Philemon, he says, "I prayed that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ, and honestly." If you're not sharing your faith, you don't understand your faith. And I think that's important. Here is a question from Leticia. Uh, She says, in Philippians 2.12, is it saying that works are part of our salvation process? Philippians 2.12 says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not work for it, Leticia. So it's not part of our salvation process at all. The works that we do are a result of being saved. So a natural extension of being saved. It's like if you go out to buy a car, you don't go out to buy a car to park it in the garage. You go out to buy a car to drive it. So that's why you go through the process. Well, we get saved so that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and it's a healthy filial fear of God. Uh, it's It's a... Uh, uh, working out our calling, using our spiritual gifts. It's serving his body. It's being a light in the world that is so dark. All that is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Certainly, it precludes any possibility of saying, well, I'm afraid of COVID or I'm afraid of this, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stay at home. Uh, That precludes that. Now, again, I want to put an asterisk here. If you are uh, in a compromised health group, then Jesus isn't upset because you're staying home. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, To do that, you almost have to intentionally want to misunderstand me. But for the rest of us, most of us, who are healthy, and and, and the world has tried to make us so afraid that we're completely um, immobile. I always say that Satan loves a sitting target. Um, We're the ones that need to be out sharing. We're the ones that need to be telling people about Jesus. We're the ones that need to be in church, serving our brothers and sisters. The idea that, well, I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to go to church because I might get COVID is foreign, absolutely foreign to anything that the Bible teaches. So please understand, and Leticia, I'm not suggesting that this is what your question uh, suggests. Um, Please understand that we've got to work out every day we got a job to do. We don't get to take a day off because we're tired. We don't get to take time off because we're sick. Every day, we've got a job that's working on our salvation with fear and trembling. One other thought on this, and then I'll go to what might be the last question today. Um, We're working on our salvation with fear and trembling if we're pursuing holiness. We can't procrastinate on being holy. Be holy as I am holy, uh, we're told in Scripture. So, Um, We work out our salvation, the gift that God has given us, and we work it out for his glory alone. Georgia says, and yes, I'm looking at the question. We've got four minutes. This will be the last question of the day. Pastor Ron, how do we reconcile all the information we get from government sources, which proves to be untrue, and obeying those in authority? Um, Georgia, I I think we are at the point in our history where it is, We should have no expectation of government sources being true and reliable. Uh, We obey those in authority, Georgia, um, unless and until they tell us to do something that contradicts what the Bible has told us to do. Peter said, you you decide, should we obey man or should we obey God? As for me, I, I can't keep declaring this name. So if they were to tell us that we can't have church, we would not obey that. Uh, it doesn't matter what facts or what um, arguments they use. We wouldn't obey it because we are commanded in Scripture to meet together with the saints on a regular basis. So, um, um, Georgia, I just don't think it's possible to reconcile all the information because nothing is true. Nothing is, is, is legitimate except your Bible. So sort of unplug a little bit from the information sources of this world and plug in to the one true thing that never changes God's word is true. So please, please, please just find out what Jesus is telling you to do. If you'll do that, he'll have you in that place that is the safest place for you to be. You know, we're in this time now where we're being inundated with new COVID stories and the headlines get scarier and scarier. Uh, again, I think it's a concerted effort to make us fearful. Again, I don't know uh, whose agenda it is, but, but I personally believe it's the enemy, the devil. Uh, he wants Christians to be afraid. And what we've got to remember is that that uh, fear is not what we're called to live in. That we're called to live in the peace and joy of the Lord. And um, it's just Georgia. Again, I'm not speaking ill of anybody, but but the the information we've been getting through this entire pandemic, from the time it started um, in in earnest in early 2020, uh, the information that we've been getting is constantly changed. Um, so much of it is proven not to be true. So much of it has been proven to be outright lies. And yet, the truth is that as Christians, we've got our marching orders from the one who never changes. My final thought is this. Um, if, you're, if you're talking about the, the information that we get from the government about COVID, um, prayerfully weigh the choices that you're going to make and use your, your brain, be reasonable, and examine the evidence I think you're going to find that Jesus still has you in his arms and you're going to be okay. Doesn't mean people aren't going to get sick. Everybody's going to get this. I said this from the beginning. We come out of hiding for a year and a half. Immune systems are down. Everybody's going to get this. When you do, Jesus is there. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word, that's me and Paula. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On For Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4